Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight, show have a very special guest. He published a book back in March 2020. The title of the book is Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. And his name is Don Vino, V-E-I-N-O-T. And he's also published another book in his past, A Matter of Basic Principles, Bill Gothard and the Christian Life in 20, 2003. But he and his wife, Joy, are co-founders, and he is the president of Midwest Christian Outreach, Inc., MCOI. And it's a mission to cults and non-Christian religions based in Wonder Lake, Illinois. And he has been involved in discernment, discernment ministry as missionaries to new religious movements since 1987. So we're delighted to have him. Again, his name is Don by now. Don, are you there? Well, you're only delighted to have me at this point. It could change as the program goes on. <laughs> okay. well, hopefully it'll go well. Uh for people who may not know your background, can you talk a little bit about your your background and how you became involved in this book titled Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret? Absolutely. I, uh, uh, I, I did not grow up in the church. My father was an atheist. I adopted his belief system or lack of belief system, as it were. Uh, didn't have much experience with church. Some of my friends went occasionally, but uh, met a young lady at one point in my teen years who had been raised in a Christian home. She shouldn't have dated me. She did. She shouldn't have married me for sure. And she did. Uh, and uh, after we had my son, she began re-questioning her faith, which then led her to ask me to look at some material. And I started realizing that I couldn't be honest and an atheist because that's a claim to know something I can't know. So long story short, after some research, discovering certain things, the Bible is fundamentally reliable and the resurrection is true, I became a Christian. Uh, at that point, I thought I'd just become a rich general contractor and support missionaries. I never intended on being one. Uh, my wife met some Jehovah's Witnesses and really loved them, which then changed the trajectory of our life immensely uh, because she wanted to learn about what it was they believed and how to reach out to them. And so we embarked on that research project. By and by, we opened a pre-recorded helpline uh, then advertised it so they could call without answer, us answering and just listen to the messages and then interact if they needed more information. Eventually, that became a live line. Once it became a live line, we started getting calls about other groups, Bill Gothard being one of them. Uh, and uh, we incorporated officially in 1995. And so we started a research project on Bill Gothard for this reason. It occurred to us that if we didn't have the integrity to deal with false teaching in the church, we didn't have the right to deal with false teaching outside the church. So it became an integrity issue. Uh, and we spent about six years interacting with him because the goal is repentance and restoration, not destroying a, an individual or ministry. Uh, and that did not happen. So we ended up doing the book in 2002. Uh, we published that book. We mostly deal with uh, cults and non-Christian religions. We spend a lot of time with Wiccans and Hindus and pagans and, and Jehovah's Witnesses when I talk to us, Mormons and other sorts of groups. Uh, we just had uh, Gwen Shamblin, uh, who started a uh, cult based on diet. <laughs> uh, and we had exposed in 2000 as teaching heretical doctrine in 30,000 churches across 60 denominations. Uh, she just died in a plane crash last week, so we had to address that to help parents know how do I interact with my 
family members who are in this group. Is it a time to get them out? My caution statement is no. It's not time to help them grieve, not to attack their leader. So we deal with a lot of different kinds of groups. This one came along because of the teacher, Richard Rohr, uh, and its origins. This is something that hung around in the New Age and occult, really, until 2016. Uh, we had read about it in 1992. A friend uh, of ours, Mitch Pacwa, had written a book warning Roman Catholics about the occultism of the Enneagram. We read it. We said, it's interesting, but we'll never have to worry about it because I don't know any evangelicals that would follow for something like this. Little did we know. <laughs> and so uh, our co-author, Marsha Montenegro, former New Ager, uh, former professional astrologer, uh, saw some inklings of it coming into the church in 2011 and did an article on it. Uh, but again, it didn't seem like it was going to be that big of a deal within the evangelical church until 2016, at which point InterVarsity Press published a book by Suzanne Stabile, who is a disciple of Richard Rohr. We'll explain who he is in a minute. Uh, and a co-author, Ian Cron, who teaches at Richard Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. So now it is introduced into the evangelical church by something perceived as an evangelical publisher, InterVarsity Press, claiming that it is, uh, the Enneagram is from ancient times, fourth century or before, which is not true. It's a completely fabricated story. From there, uh, in 2017, uh, the Sacred Enneagram came out, and that is Christopher Huertz, who is, guess what, a disciple of Richard Rohr. Uh, in 2018, Suzanne Stabile came out with a book called The Road Back to Us. Remember, she's a disciple of Richard Rohr. In 2019, Thomas Nelson uh, came out with a series, nine-volume series, by Beth McCord, uh, the Enneagram Collection, uh, and a Beth McCord tells us that she was trained by psychic Helen Palmer, uh, New Ager Ross Hudson, Jessica Dibb, Catherine Favre, Ginger Labid Bogda. So she's trained by all New Agers and a psychic. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest. He learned the Enneagram in the 1980s, let's say. Uh, and uh, he then began teaching it to others along the way. Again, we didn't think it would come of much uh, w within the church because he's sort of a odd Franciscan friar out there. Even Roman Catholic Church uh, apologetics ministries denounce him as a heretic. So it's kind of interesting. Where does it come from? Maybe we need to go back there. In okay. the beginning was the Enneagram. Uh, you have a slide, which is uh, uh, Gurdjieff's original Enneagram drawing. Okay, let me get that up. Stop this. Share screen. And which one is it on this? It's okay. the... Uh, you know what? I, I can make this easier for you, actually. Okay. If you like. Is that it? Uh, I'm not getting to that. Never mind. 
Uh, I can't make it easier. <laughs> okay. Is that the Enneagram you're talking you're referencing? That's the one. Okay. Uh, that's the first one. What the one of the things that you'll notice is there are no numbers on that. Now, the numbers were added at a later time because he liked playing with numbers, but it was just this symbol, and his view was this symbol uh tells you everything about the entire cosmos. You can understand everything about its origins, how it developed. Uh, by adding up different uh, uh, the numbers three and seven, uh, and then you can divide it by whatever. Uh, and he then decided another important element was the scale, the do re mi, which uh, you don't have that one. Uh, but uh, in 1949, yeah, I, I don't think you have that. One. Oh, the picture of Gurdjieff, yeah. In 1949, one of his followers, P. D. Ospinsky. Uh, came out with a copy of that in his book, uh, and the scale is on it. That is interesting because he doesn't believe that you, he didn't believe that you could truly understand the Enneagram without movement. Uh, and even to this day, there are Gurdjieff dance troops that travel around the globe. No, there you go. Travel around the globe uh, performing dances that he created. Uh, and most of them have like a whirling dervish, uh, which comes from Sufism, essentially. And so the scales correspond to the numbers. And so you have the right sounds and the right numbers to explain everything in the cosmos. None of this is about personality. That's pretty important to understand. The next figure then to grab a hold of this is in the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s is Oscar Echazo. Oscar Echazo is Bolivian-born, uh, and uh, he started a school in Arica, Chile, uh, called the Arica School. Uh, he was an esoteric, like Gurdjieff, uh, and, and he believed that this, in fact, he got his information from two beings. Uh, he would call them angels, I would suggest, because I'm a Christian, that they're demons. Uh, but uh, two entities, one is uh, the Green Ketub, uh, and the other is, I'm having a brain burp, I hate it. Metatron, Metatron. Metatron, thank you. I have to think Disney, Metatron. Uh, Metatron is, as you are probably aware, it comes from uh, Jewish uh, Kabbalah teachings. So it's sort of another esoteric character. And he then believed that that accounted for what he called ego fixations. So, like so many others, he's looking for the inner divine that we all naturally possess, according to many esoteric teachers. He had a disciple along the way by the name of Claudio Naranjo. Uh, Claudio Naranjo is sort of the father of psychedelic drugs, psychedelic uh, philosophy, let's say. Uh, better spiritual experiences through pharmacy. Well, he took a hold of the Enneagram and advanced it. In fact, he tells us two things very important, and we have where he confirms this about three minutes long. Two things, two very important things. The first thing is the story that is ancient is a story he invented. And we can confirm that's likely true for two reasons. In the 1992 book by Richard Rohr, he is very clear that it has no Christian origins, zero Christian. Here's origins. the Enneagram, which. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, it. that's quite all right. Because the, the next uh, 
thing, so it's history he made up. The second thing is all of the enneotypes he received through the occult practice of automatic writing. Hmm. So which one is Naranjo in this video right here? That He's the one in the purple shirt. Purple shirt. Are you ready for me to play this? I or? am. Okay. Go for it. I'm hitting the button. But here's the Enneagram, which is a nine figure. It's, a, it's more than a nine figure because actually it's a folded tesseract. It also has been described as a, uh, as a, um, uh, a two-dimensional representation of a, of, a, uh, 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 of a rapidly unfolding lotus flower, uh, which I like. <laughs> you were referring to Oscar Ichazo. Oscar Ichazo, who I learned it from. Uh, he, at, at the at time, Arisa. used to say he yeah. had learned it from a very ancient source, from a Sum Sumerian, Babylonian We know source. that to not be true. And uh, yeah. lately he's been meaning uh, that he got it directly from a higher source and not from a historical source, uh, from inspiration, you know, from revelation, that is his word. That's probably and, closer to the truth. Yes, yes, I, I, tr I trust it. But um, I, I get a lot of stuff from. I'm serious. I get a lot of a lot of my information from higher authorities, yes. and so do you. Yes, yes. And we know that, and we trust this. Yes, and uh, just like Oscar did not make a difference between what was his finding from inside of when when he got from higher authority and what he got from word-to-mouth uh, teachings, right. which was negligible, uh, just as he didn't uh, make a distinction, I adopted the same style. So when mm -hmm. people learned me, heard me, they thought I was talking about something that comes from Babylonian origins through Oscar Ichazo to me. Well, yeah, because oh, yeah. they trust that more. They, they, they're being yeah. scholars. They I thought trust it the would make sense. Yeah. Actually, when I was, cho I chose to do that intentionally, mm -hmm. and I was remembering a recommendation of Oscar Wilde, who yeah. said, "If you want an idea of yours to become famous, attribute it to a famous person." That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> I was more or interested become in become famous. So at, uh, at the conference, I told them I had made up this tale that all this came from millennia ago and, from, and that this information came from the Sufis. Yes. I told him that actually Oscar Richardson had not described any of the enneotypes either. Actually, in the uh, uh, seven months we spent with him, he devoted about six hours to talk about the enneagram, but he never came to describe any one of the types. That was right. oh, that came from Enrique Chile. Enrique Chile, yeah. 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 So that yeah. came from my own uh, observations, but mostly from automatic writing. It automatic from, writing? Yeah, it came to me through automatic writing. What did? Uh, the, the specific information and it's any types. Ab ab about any types. Wow. Okay. So he admits there that he made up the foundations of the Enneagram and that he was using kind of occult techniques of automatic writing to make up the enneotypes, some additional information on top of Gurdjieff's original enneagram. Is that correct? Correct. Both he and his uh, teacher, uh, Oscar Chazo, did the same thing. And Naranjo, he's also tied into Esalen. So he's right. networked with some of these other New Age type uh, figures and areas. Esalen is just an epicenter of all kinds of... 
Right. In fact, that's how it, how it made its way eventually to um, uh, Richard Rohr. And also a, a new novitiate at the time was uh, uh, Mitch Pacwa. They both learned it at about the same time from uh, Bob Oaks, who was Roman Catholic, who learned it from, guess who? Claudio, Claudio Naranjo. Where at? Esalen. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Big Sur, yeah. Uh, in fact, I have a great magazine cover with uh, Claudio on it. Uh, on his uh, kind of uh, psych psychedelic spirituality, uh, and uh, he's pretty popular with the, with that. There, uh, another uh, character involved with this is Helen Palmer. Now, you do have—I don't know if you can bring this up or not—but uh, an interesting uh, 1979 Mother Jones. Don't get lost. Is this the one right here? Oh no, that's fine. Okay. Do you want to pull up the Mother Jones one? Because I have that too. Well, just to show you who she is, uh, and the reason she's important to all of this is uh, she was one of the early uh, advocates and uh, wrote the, one of the first books promoting this. Uh, Richard Rohr, at that point, hadn't really published anything, but it sort of emboldened him to say, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. And they became sort of compatriots. Uh, so he respects her. They work together. He thinks she's very important for Christians to go to for information. Now you want to watch the video of him explaining why. Gotcha. So let's go back. I mean, really, let's go back. This is, but don't get lost in the external traits. Huh? They're just partial giveaways. And when you get good at it, you, you read energies. I mean, really? And this is the reason Helen Palmer got into it. She told me herself. I mean, she was a, a, a psychic intuitive. Huh? And she's convinced that you can train people to be psychic. Well, that's what this was about initially. We didn't use that kind of word in the early centuries. And what's this gentleman's name right here? This is Richard Rohr. Now so you have met Richard Rohr. That's him. That's him. Uh, we'll have another one from him in a little bit. So he's explaining that she believes she can teach others to be psychic intuitives uh, like she is. It's something you can train someone to do. So you don't really need scripture. You need to be a psychic to really get the full flavor of um, religious experience. Richard Rohr is dangerous within the evangelical community. If you're a Hindu, you're going to really probably agree with him pretty much. Uh, he is what is called, and he calls himself this in his writings on his website. So this is not a secret. We're not telling stories out of school. What's called a panentheist. Uh, it's different than pantheism, which is more Hindu Eastern mysticism where everything is God. Uh, you're God, I'm God, the desk is God, the microphone is God, and what my cat left in the litter box this morning is God. Everything is God. Richard Rohr has a little different view. Panentheism uh, is the idea that God is bigger than the cosmos, but the cosmos is his body. So for Richard Rohr, in fact, one of his very popular books right now is The Universal Christ, uh, holds that the cosmos is the first incarnation of the Christ. So how does this affect us? Well, here's how it affects us. His view is that we have never been separated from God, that we have always been with God, 
And the reason is because we are part of the creation and the creation is the Christ and we are therefore already in Christ from conception. Right. So there goes kind of uh, the standard theological Christian of, of the fall, the return through Christ. It's gone. He has That's all gone. That's effectively gone. In fact, he argues that the uh, uh, crucifixion wasn't penal substitution. Uh, he doesn't believe that that is, in fact, he thinks it's a terrible way uh, to deal with this because we're not separated from God. But it was God identifying with us saying, I am for you. That's what that's what that was all about. So you have an ostensible Christian creating his own kind of theology that's different from the, the Christianity formulated by its founders or Paul. That, well, that's exactly right. Actually, going all the way back to Judaism, Judaism uh, had to deal with some of these kinds of issues. But especially in the first century, uh, as, as you point out, you have uh, Paul writing in Colossians against uh, ascetics and other sorts of things. Uh, the Gospel of John starts out, the first few verses are dealing with what we call proto-Gnosticism, uh, which is the idea that there's a, there's a Christ uh, consciousness or Christ being that's separate from the human Jesus that merged at some point. Full-blown Gnosticism was that uh, uh, the, the Christ settled on Jesus at the baptism and left just before he died in the crucifixion. For Richard Rohr, the human Jesus, and we have a short video on this where he explains it, is different than the Christ, and they did merge together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In general. Sorry. Please go, ahead. go right ahead. Go ahead. This? Okay. this is Richard Rohr again, right? Right. In general, the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are about Jesus. John is about Christ. And the reason we have so misused and misinterpreted John's gospel is this is the eternal archetypal Christ talking. He can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about this mystery, this amalgam of matter and spirit, which is the way for everybody that you discover spirit in this material universe. That was true for the native religions, was true for Judaism, was certainly apparent in Hinduism, if you've ever been to India, where gods are everywhere, the sacred is everywhere. They're always anointing everything, especially the male and female genitals, even in the temples. It's all sacred. It's sort of shocking for us prudish Christians. This is sacred too, you know? It's all one sacred universe. But we got a lot of unlearning to do. And that's why we teach contemplation, because contemplation is mostly unlearning. Right. So he's he's stating his other pro, other issues. It's not just panentheism, but his perennial religion, right. his perennial views, right. which is the idea, almost like an animism, where all kinds of wisdom is interspersed throughout all the teachings. Of right, him. right. And he really is truly a, a perennialist. And he tells you he's a perennialist. So these things are not things he hides. He's proud of the fact that he holds these views. So in perennialism, uh, the, the core of all religions knows who the true God is. And so we are really are one. We're only separated by the outer portions of uh, our, our various religions, according to him. In reality, it's the opposite. Uh, we only appear similar. Uh, oh, yeah, okay, panentheism, Jonathan Miles points out, panentheism was made famous by Charles 
Hartshorn, and there's uh, several others who hold that. Alfred North Whitehead. Uh, it hasn't ever really been a popular idea. It was mostly in high school, high seats of uh, academia. Now it's like right in the evangelical Christian church. But people don't realize it. They don't realize it because they haven't asked us the dictionary. If you don't ask the right questions about definition, you don't know what it is that you are being actually taught. So they have this sort of idea that this is really just about personality types. I'm trying to figure out why I do what I do. Uh, and uh, I can tell you psychologically that is untrue. Uh, Jay Medinwalt has done uh, research on it. He's a researcher. And he's the only one uh, that uh, has actually done what's called a uh, psychometric test on the Enneagram. And his conclusion is it's dangerous. <laughs> well, I mean, we can get into what Rohr actually think the, thinks the Enneagram is. Right. And utility. Can you talk about what he's telling people it is? It's not. I can. Yeah, because he he, he agrees it's not a personality type. Uh, in fact, uh, also, um, uh, Christopher Huertz, who did, uh, did his book, uh, said that it is not a type of person, but a path to God. It is not a type of person, but a path to God. Richard Rohr uh, follows that up, and he says the purpose of the Enneagram is not self-improvement, which would be our ego's goal. Rather, it is a transformation of consciousness so that we, may, we can realize our true essence, our true self. What is our true self? It is our self that has always been with God, never separated from God, uh, we have constructed a false self, which thinks we're separated from God. And the whole goal of working through the Enneagram is to realize your path away from these false views of being a sinner to the true realization that you are already Christed. Right. I mean, it's really kind of a direct assault upon standard, I think, traditional Christian theology of this type of thing. And actually... I did a, just an interview yesterday where one of these preachers in one of these mega churches was using the Enneagram. And so it was within, the, I can't remember which church it was, I think one in California. But this was one of the kind of very influential um, pastors, one of these kind of new style celebrity pastors who was utilizing the Enneagram concepts. Well, I, I can, if you're not above naming names, and I think someone who does investigation wouldn't be afraid of naming names. I'm not, I'm not afraid. Okay. Andy, go back and find it. Andy Stanley, big name in the evangelical church, big uh, advocate of the Enneagram. Uh, let's see, Southern Baptist. How about Southern Baptist? Um, let's see. The, the name was Darren Patrick. Okay, here's another one. Was using uh, the Enneagram, so. Yeah, there, there are there are there are several big names that are big advocates of this, uh, and it's it's a growing trend. Uh, in fact, here's how here's how big it is. Uh, Suzanne Stabile's book, her first book, The Road Back to You. Now, get the title. Where's the road taking you? Back to you. Back to you. Not to God. Back to you. Has sold over 500,000 copies. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, Christopher Huert's book, The Sacred Enneagram. The Enneagram is sacred. Who knew? Has sold over 100,000 copies. Wow, uh, Beth McCord's High Sellers. When we decided we have to do a book on this, uh, by the time it was published, 
in 2020, so it's just over a year ago, there were 12 books out, pro Enneagram books, in the Christian church. Wow, that's Today, there that. are over 30. I didn't know that. Wow. I know people who are pastors who've handed me an Enneagram book. I don't want to name their name, but just in my personal orbit. And I was like, what is this? This doesn't, this looks like something from the occult or new age, which I didn't really know. But now I know at the time, if it I is, can yeah. quote quotes, this is from your book. This is quoting the Hertz book. It says, quote, regardless of whether the Enneagram has its roots in Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, we do know that it wasn't until the early 1900s that an Eastern Orthodox man, G.I. Gurdjieff, introduced the modern form of the Enneagram to the Western world. So he admits it right there. Like, that's pretty clear right. that this is not something. And they, like you say in your book, they mythologize right. its origins, where it's right. from. Right. And uh, a lot of that's a bunch of hogwash. Well, it is. And, and uh, as time goes on, because we have been pretty aggressive at exposing this, so each new book may still carry some of the mythology with it. And yet, uh, when they get when the rubber meets the road, they go, here's what we know, Gurdjieff. So they go back to the starting point. Uh, if you could imagine anything relating to Plato's allegory of the cave. Um, I, I cannot imagine that it's relating to that. <laughs> so, But I think that's because I have spent so much time researching it. Uh, be sure to note that the Enneagram is not a personality test sort of thing, which we have already mentioned. Uh, but, uh, but it's morphed, right? Hasn't it morphed from Gurdjieff's original kind of view into something else? Because I thought I saw a version of the Enneagram yes. that had personality types in it. Well, they it has. It ha okay, let's be careful. <laughs> if you look at it, it'll say if you're a number one, this describes you. If you're a number two, this describes you. If you're, and so it feels like a personality test. But what you are discovering is not your personality, but what is keeping you from finding your true self. Oh, okay. I misunderstood that then. Right. Well, a lot of people do. Why? Because you don't have the dictionary. I mean, the, the, the growth of this is pretty astonishing within just the last five years. I find that like it's... Uh, the force of it is pretty incredible if they sold half a million books on this to Christians. So these right. are Christian publishing houses, right? Isn't that what you right. said? Christian publishing house, everyone. InterVarsity Press, Thomas Nelson Publishers, um, Zondervan, Zondervan uh, right. and, and you kind of go on from there, Brassos. So everyone's getting into that because there's money in these books, big money. You, you actually have businesses as well. Beth McCord, has her business is called uh, Your Enneagram Coach. And so you can hire her to do training in your church, or you can pay her for a certain amount of money. She will teach you, too, how to be an Enneagram coach. And you can either use it in ministry, or you could just start your own business. Uh, you have uh, another one, a pastor, uh, has done the same thing. We have, uh, this one kind of floored me. I, I, I don't know why, but <laughs> Todd Wilson, Todd Wilson, a name you may or may not be familiar with, uh, is the co-founder and president of something called um, um, the Center for Pastor Theologians. The Center for Pastor Theologians. That sounds pretty reputable. You want pastors to be good at being theologians, right? You should have mm -hmm. that in the church. He wrote a book. The latest book for IVP, University Press, called The Enneagram Goes to Church. 
And so we did a review of that book on our website, midwestoutrage.org, called The Enneagram Goes to Church and the Angels Aren't Happy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a few weeks ago, um, uh, Premier Christian uh, contacted Marsha, and she and Todd Wilson had a point-counterpoint on Justin Brierley's uh, program, uh, Unbelievable. Uh, and uh, it was unfortunate, I think, for Todd Wilson, because as he started out, he started saying it's a personality profile, just like you had said. Uh, Justin Brierley said it's a personality profile, at which point it came to Marsha. She said, I understand how you explained it, but both of you are wrong. Here is what Richard Rohr says it is. Hmm. It is not a personality profile. It's a path back to your true self. That's what it is. And then she laid out its history, just like we talked about here. Uh, at, at the end of her about four-minute recitation of the history, Todd Wilson said, I grant all of that is true. Yes, it came from the occult. Yes, it came from uh, um, uh, to get you back to these. But that's okay because we can transpose it into Christian faith and it helps me. Right, because they say it's a useful tool. Is this, would you describe this as emerging Christianity? You have that reference yes. in the book. I don't know what that term really means. Can you just define that for me? Well, emerging Christianity really came about around the, two, the year 2000. You had the emergent church, emergent Christianity, uh, would be uh, Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, uh, uh, Tall Slim Jones. There's a whole group of them. Uh, who initially were saying we need to have a more relational faith. I agree with that, that we need to get away from the corporate faith, i.e. Willow Creek, Saddleback, that sort of thing, and actually talk to each other. The problem is, in the process, they began abandoning Christianity, and here's why they began abandoning Christianity. They met a Franciscan friar by the name of Richard Rohr. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> So it all traces back to the one core uh, contemplative prayer was in the church a little bit by a couple of mystics, but guess who really launched it? Richard Rohr. Rohr. Wow. You can tell you everything back from 2000. So the emergent church then merged into and became the progressive church, progressive Christianity. So I would suggest that we could paraphrase a Bible passage that says they were not of us. Uh, if they had been of us, they see they are not of us. They see they, Oh, they left us because they were not of us. Right. So yep. I would say of the progressive church, they left us, they progressed from us because they were not of us. Right. And I mean, I stated kind of earlier in, in your talk or you're talking that it was this roar has, moved away from basic Christian theology, but you wrote much better. Here it says, uh, doing right in their own eyes. When one examines Richard Rohr's disturbing and heretical theology, one discovers he redefines historic foundational biblical terms, Christ, right. sin, redemption, and man, among other things. So right. I, I pulled that quote right from your book, which right. I highly recommend people should read it. It's right. pretty, very dangerous ideas. I mean, where do you see this Enneagram going from here? I mean, do you anticipate it will expand outside of even evangelical circles? or? Well, it doesn't have to. It was already outside of evangelical circles, right? It was, uh, it was very popular in a lot of New Age circles. We have seen an interesting thing in the last uh, month 
where we actually have uh, shopping malls creating Enneagram decor in certain parts of their stores. Wow. Uh, so you can buy, if you're a nine, you can get this kind of furniture. If you're a seven, you can buy this kind of clothing. Uh, and so they're kind of catering to this sort of thing. Where is it going to go? I, that really is going to depend on church leadership more than anything else. If, if we understand that less than 6% of Christians have a Christian worldview, that's going to tell you where this is going to go. Because they like the idea of Christianity, they don't like the teaching of Christianity. Right, interesting. I mean, there's a there's a significant difference too, right? Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, holding to basic biblical, you know, statements. Um, yeah, it's an it's really an incredible event. It's just to me, just looking at it, it reminds me of kind of Crowley Seal of Babylon. Like it's very occult. I'm surprised that Christians would just take to this so casually because to me it just smacks of new age and the occult it's, it's very strange it does here i can probably give you a a real thumbnail sketch of how it happens because i watched it happen a lot uh we've been doing this over almost over a quarter century and and we have seen big heretical trends march through the church rapidly and ask ourselves why does this happen it's this way. I call it the good old boy circuit. Now, you'll understand this if you don't already. Pastor Bill has a church that seems to be growing, and he's using Gwen Shamblin's Way Down Workshop, let's say. Uh, and I know Pastor Bill. I trust Pastor Bill. He would, Anything he does is going to be biblically centered. And so I bring it to my church, and voila, I start having church growth. And I pass it on to my friend, Pastor Fred, who trusts me. And he trusts Pastor Bill because I trust Pastor Bill. And so nobody checks what is actually being taught through this. The Enneagram is the same way. You've got Russ Moore, Southern Baptist, head of the organization that handles their politics, right? Enneagram advocate. Andy Stanley, Enneagram advocate. Uh, it's coming from Christian publishers, InterVarsity Press, Thomas Nelson, Zondervan, Zondervan right? Right. Uh, it must be good because Zondervan, I mean, they have theologians who are vetting these things. No, they don't. <laughs> right. They have accountants, right? The accountants are counting the numbers. They have accountants, right. And and they the publishers assume the writers are theologically astute, and they don't check their theology. They look for grammar. That's what they do. Wow, great book. Highly recommended. Where can people find the book? Where's the best place? And can you mention your social media too if people want to reach out to you? I can. The, the easiest thing to do is enneagramsecret.com. Uh, yes, Jonathan Miles, Richard Rohr still is a Franciscan friar. Uh, enneagramsecret.com. There's a ton of stuff up there. Videos, uh, Marsha doing interviews, me doing interviews, explanations of various chapters and uh, things in there and links to various places you can purchase it. Uh, so that will be helpful. Awesome. Secondly, our social media, midwestoutreach.org. Uh, you can get to everything else that we have. We have a YouTube channel, and we're on active on uh, Facebook, MeWe, and a bunch of others. So we have a blog that goes out live every Thursday and an e-letter. You can sign up for that on the lower right-hand corner. Uh, and our goal is that Christians are educated into a Christian worldview. We 
uh, major on essential doctrines of the faith. We almost rarely get involved with what we call the mechanics of the faith. We don't haggle over uh, eschatological views. We don't really get embroiled in discussions about whether or not tongues are for today or not today. We are pretty clear, deity of Christ, Trinity, those sorts of things. What is essentially necessary to be a Christian? Awesome. Well, great book and a terrific interview. Really wonderful. Thanks for reply, uh, adding all of those pictures and videos as well, because I think they give the listener and myself as well some insight into this really a heretical doctrine in Christianity. So again, the title of the book is Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret by Don Vinot, V-E-I-N-O-T, correct? Yep. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Don. I appreciate it. Excellent. Interview. Good meeting you. Bless you. All right. All right. Taking blessings.